of losing money in the stock market roller coaster? Frustrated with the government taxing you into oblivion? Worried about inflation? How do you prepare for so many financial uncertainties? Welcome to the show that will help you develop your game plan. The Financial Quarterback with Josh Jelinski. Josh is a noted financial advisor and president of the Jelinski Advisory Group. And he's here to answer your questions. Call into the show at 800-321-0710. 800-321-0710. Now let's kick off your financial future. Here's Josh Jelinski. Hi, everybody. This is Josh Jelinski, the financial quarterback with America's favorite CPA, JJ the CPA. And if you don't know JJ the CPA, you got to know him now. But JJ, describe your background for our listeners who are not familiar with you as the Captain America of Finance. Uh, Very kind, Josh. Great to be on your show. Here's the deal, though. Everybody needs to tune into you because I became better at what I do, my craft, because of you, my friend. Thank you for all the support, love, especially in the financial world. So I've got 31 years underneath my belt doing taxes with uh, clients, small businesses, got a YouTube channel, wrote a couple of books, travel around the country talking about taxes to fellow CPAs and enrolled agents. And I just love it. So honored to be here today, my friend. And folks, um, he's up to 94,800 subscribers on YouTube. He lost 90 pounds in the last 12 months, and he's gained 90,000 plus YouTube subscribers. So let's hit 100,000. So go over to JJ the CPA on YouTube and hit subscribe. But folks, what I love about JJ is uh, someone described me as if I was a Care Bear, I would be the Share Bear because I like to share as much value with our listeners and JJ is the same way. So JJ, give us some year end tax planning tips that our listeners and viewers on YouTube need to know about. And if you have a question, if you're live, we're live on YouTube, type your question in the chat. We're with uh, YouTube CPA, JJ, the CPA. Uh, that's not official. So, you know, not, uh, but you know, doing a lot of good things. So go ahead, JJ, you're in tax tips. Well, I appreciate that. You know, one of the first things that we talk about is the difference between planning and strategizing. So with planning, you got to figure out where you stand based on what you know, what is your tax looking like for this year to then start a strategy of, well, do I want to do anything about it? For small business owners and individuals, here's the bad news. To save taxes, you got to spend money. So you want to make smart decisions on what you're spending your money on. First of all, ensuring that it's going to something that would help you for taxes. Small business owners, you probably know, if it's something related to your business, well, it's gonna save you taxes. There are a number of tax credits out there related to individuals getting new electric or plug-in vehicles. Also for businesses getting a van or a truck related to that, solar power, whether it's uh, getting those panels on your home or on your business. You know, a tax deduction reduces your income dollar for dollar, and a tax credit reduces your taxes dollar for dollar. But guess what both requires? Spending money. So what we do is with our clients, help them figure out where they are, but then figure out, do you want to do anything about it before year end? Is there things that you're going to be doing into next year that you could do before the end of this year? 
you want to talk with your financial advisor, you want to set up a time, visit with Josh and his team. He is the financial quarterback for a reason. And if you're getting ready to make some big changes, we want our clients to visit with Josh about the financial aspect of what's going on, because these things have an impact. It's always great to save taxes next April, but we definitely want to make sure we're doing that in a smart way. So with this, um, what we're looking at too is making sure you max out your retirement. Your 401k, you're simple. If you've got programs through work like dependent care or an HSA, make sure you're putting in the max. But making sure you're working with a cohesive team, starting with the financial quarterback, Josh Jelinski. Thank you for that. Um, so let's talk about this. So I'm, I'm going to be a little selfless, a selfish, not selfless. Um, I am selfless, but we'll be a little selfish. So let's say I want to put solar on my building. I can get big write-offs. I know putting solar on my building and on my house. When do I need to do that by? I know I need to do it by December 31st, but do they need to be physically placed or do I got to like place the order? Great question on that. So whether it's for individual or business, whether home for at your business location, it needs to be that it's complete. And the term that IRS uses is in service. And that just means that it is being used for that purpose. Now, this credit is 30% of what your cost is. Now, it's going to include sales tax and the labor and any type of battery that you have to put into play to be able to store and harness power. Uh, with the businesses, there's an investment tax credit. It's 30% up front. You can carry it back three years, carry it forward 22 years. Also related to this is a production tax credit. So it's either or, and you're getting a tax credit as it produces power. Here's something that's going to really blow your mind, Josh. I know you've already heard about it, but probably those tuning in may have not. Because when I'm doing seminars uh, around the country, many are very surprised by what I'm getting ready to say. But these tax credits are able to be sold and it's tax-free to the person who's selling these tax credits. And anybody can buy these tax credits. So you do a million dollar investment for your business, you get a $300,000 credit, you could sell it tax-free. So your net cost would be 700,000. And then for a business, you can depreciate whatever's left over. And with that credit, it only is an add back by 50%. So that sounds like a lot of stuff related to that. And it is, but see, Josh, this is why you and I always say, you've got to get with professionals when you're getting into these eight. And if you're going to do a million dollar investment, you better sit down and first talk with Josh. But these are sexy, if I can dare say that word, when we're talking about taxes. So I want to unpack that buying tax credit thing. It's a little confusing. But first, on my building, so I want to put solar on my building. Can I wait till next year? Is it the same right off this year versus next year? Great question. It's the same uh, all the way until 2032. So we got lots of time. Okay. And then after that, the percentage just goes down. So you do have time and uh, it does take time to get it all in play. But with this, I mean, when you're talking about tax credit, it's reducing down your tax. Now, for those that are doing it on their home, the key here is that whatever your tax credit is, is that it's going to reduce your tax dollar for dollars I indicated. But once your tax is to zero, then it's going to carry over to the next year. So for those that are getting the tax credits, 
Also be smart just in the sense of, well, how much is that? What is my tax? How much will it be that I get to experience this year? So if you get a $300,000 tax credit or on your home, you have a $20,000 tax credit. Well, if your tax is $15,000 on the individual side there, well, that 20,000 credit, well, it's going to zero out that tax. You're going to get that experience of saving 15 grand. And then that $5,000 remainder or differential is going to carry over to the next year, and then you'll be able to benefit from it there. So just one thing to keep in mind, a lot of states have grants that go along with this, uh, not to mention that there's uh, energy savings compared to uh, whatever your current costs typically. But with this, the basically the, the, the IRS has put out some good information out there. Uh, there's not a lot of manufacturers yet here in the state, so I think we're going to see a lot of growth in this area. Only reason to say that is that very interested to see in the years to come, Josh, what your thoughts are in investing in this area as well, especially as this expands in our country uh, for those wanting to take advantage of this. No, that's good. We actually did a whole segment and did a lot of research on nuclear because I think mm -hmm. with all of the people going to solar and Tesla and this and that, electronic vehicles, it's going to put so much pressure on the energy grid. I think the investment opportunities in stuff like hydrogen, nuclear, uranium, and actually the, the things that they're going to extract out of the ground, like lithium, lithium's actually kind of taken a, a bath this year, but we think the opportunity will be, you still need natural resources to do these green things. That's and right. there's gonna be, there's limited quantities Limited uranium, limited uh, finite quantities of various things. Although I'm of the opinion that these finite things aren't that finite. Meaning, remember peak oil? They said, "Oh, we we wouldn't have enough oil." I'm, I don't know when you went to school. I may be dating myself, but I remember going to school and, and we were taught that there would be no fossil fuels by 2020. Mm. We would run mm. out of all of them. So mm. I don't really trust the science because. I think we were brainwashed in the 80s and people worried up, oh, you know, and that Al Gore documentary and there's all these things and it just hasn't happened. So I do think, though, you know, sort of the genie's out of the bottle. You know, EVs are taking over, uh, solar's taking over, uh, renewable energy's taking over, but at what cost? What cost on the grid? So I think people are going to wake up and we see it in Germany already. People are waking up and saying, hey, we need coal now. We need fossil fuels a little bit more than we thought we needed them. So I think anything natural resource related will be a good play. Uranium will be a good play. And we have uh, some stuff I'm going to be sharing with listeners in, on future shows. And if we have time, we can share. We did a whole whole bunch of research from my guy, Tom. He, he came back. I, I said I gave this kind of little talk a week ago and then he came back and said hey you're right they're they're building plants they're building nuclear plants as we speak in georgia so on so solar on my house solar on my building and what does that work out to be if i spend 50 grand on solar on my house what do i get back well you're going to get a fifteen thousand dollar credit and then the savings that would come into play over time and then many of the states also have either tax credits or grants to help offset that cost. And so the way to look at this, though, is that 
when you're getting that tax credit, it's not going to be at the moment you're buying it or financing it. It's going to be realized when you're filing your tax return. And so if you are wanting to experience those tax savings immediately, what you would want to be doing is either reducing down your withholdings from wages or your estimated tax payments. So many can think, and I just say that we want to always look at this with our advisors, but many think, well, if I get this solar credit, somebody's going to write me a check. And in your example, for 15 grand, 30% of 50,000. And that's not the case. No one's going to write you a check for this. What you're going to do is pay less in taxes. So that is a different realization of it. Now I'm going to throw in there for you. If I could, IRS just announced last week that for vehicles, so switching gears here for a little bit, um, on the electric vehicles, hybrid plug-ins, there's the credits that are up to $7,500 for new vehicles. Now, starting 1-124, you'll be able to walk into the dealership, and if that vehicle qualifies and that dealer has registered, you're going to experience that $7,500 credit right then and there, not as cash to you, but as a dollar-for-dollar reduction in the purchase price of that vehicle. So that is huge. There's also the same credit for used vehicles through a dealership up to $4,000. So in that circumstance, you're realizing it right away. Now, one of the things that I would say is if you're gonna sell one of these credits, now right now you can't sell a credit on your house, you can't sell a credit related to the solar on your home, you can sell the credits that are related to solar on your business, but that can be immediately realized. The way that somebody would basically be able to sell this is through the IRS. They're going to have a trading floor, for lack of a better word, starting next year, which is not far away. But with this, many they're not going to pay $300,000 for a $300,000 credit because they then wouldn't really save anything. So these credits are most likely going to sell at a discount depending on what the market will bear. So someone buys a $300,000 credit for $280,000. Well, they're going to come out ahead by 20K. And then that person who sold the credit is going to make 280000 And it's tax-free. That basically offsets their cost. Wow. Learning a lot, as always, from JJ, the CPA. So JJ, um, you're talking about buying EVs, but hasn't there been a problem? There, there's something that I see that's kind of dumb. The people that can afford these electronic vehicles, like $130,000 Tesla or an $85,000 Tesla, or the low-cost Lucid Air now is going on sale. Uh, beautiful car. I actually think the Lucid's prettier than the Tesla, but they're under a little bit of... Uh, pressure right now. What does a Lucid Air go for now? I don't know. It looks like a pretty car. I've seen them and they have a lot of creature comforts. The problem to me about this is didn't they make it so if you were made over a certain amount, you don't get the write-off? Yes, that is true. So with uh, the new vehicle, uh, if you make over, I want to say it's about 300000 it changes with inflation, marriage filing jointly, 150000 for single. Um, with that, if I'm off by a few bucks, uh, long story short, you make too much, you don't get the credit. Now, with this, if you take the credit and you do it on your, you're, you're calculating it and taking it on your individual tax return, meaning you didn't trade it in at the dealership, 
um, you have to have really two things that come into play. First of all, you're only going to get the credit to the extent of your tax. So if your tax is $5,000 and the credit's $7,500, well, you're going to get your tax zeroed out, but then that $2,500 that you didn't have any tax to then absorb that credit just goes to waste, meaning it's not a carryover. It doesn't yield a refund beyond what your tax is. Now, with this, if you, though, go to the dealership and say, I want you to have my $7,500 right now, then the amount of tax that you have on your individual return is no factor. But just to the point you brought up, it still will be a factor if you are somebody that makes too much. And it has the same parameters on the used vehicles. I think right now there's only nine different vehicles uh, that qualify. Uh, if you go to, um, let's see, I want to say it's uh, energysource.gov or just energy.gov. But uh, they have it to where you can look up your vehicle, make and model, and you would be able to determine what is the credit for that exact model. Um, and for used, you're able to put in a VIN number. So with that, you're able to be fairly sure of what your credit is before you get it. So if, so if you make too much money to get the Tesla or the Lucid and get that credit, are you able to get the 7,500 off at the dealership or no, you're screwed? You're, well, you can get it at the dealership. So good question. Like uh, as a reduction in the price and not as a You'll tax still credit. get it as a reduction in the price. But when it comes tax time, uh, if you have made too much, you're going to have to pay it back uh, with your tax return. So it would increase your tax by $7,500 or however much you went over that threshold. And I was just going to take a real quick look uh, to make sure I gave you the right amount since these are amounts that change every single uh, year with inflation. Is there talk about changing that or no? Because I really thought the way that EVs were adopted is that they had people who made a certain amount. They were like, hey, if I get the write-off and the government pays my you know, bill a little bit, I'll buy an EV. Uh, I mean, that's one reason I, I bought my Tesla. But, you know, now it's like I, if I, I can't even get the write-off. I don't want to do it. You know, I'll, I'll go back to a gas closer. Yeah, well, uh, that is true there. And I was correct on the amounts. It's 300,000 married filing jointly, 150,000 single. You know, the other limitation on this is that if it's an SUV, truck or van, which would be over 6,000 pound GVWR gross vehicle weight rating, then if that MSRP is over 80,000, uh, then you're not going to be able to get the credit on that vehicle. And if for just passenger vehicles, if you will, that are 6,000 pounds or less GVWR, uh, and it's over 55,000 MSRP, then you're, that vehicle is not going to qualify either. And I did just verify that it is uh, fueleconomy.gov uh, where you can find the used and new vehicles uh, that would then allow you to uh, know right up front what vehicles actually going to qualify uh, for this credit and how much of the credit uh, is going to be able to qualify. By the way, this is this is a major area where I think there'll be unintended consequences. So G wagons, which we're going for what what is, what does a G wagon go for now? Oh, I mean, what do they start at one fifty? <laughs> but they used to be like seventy five thousand. 
you know, yeah. five years ago. And then this kind of tax law was popularized. So you can't get the G-Wagon tax write-off anymore. Is that what you're telling me? I can't no, no, buy no, no, a G-Wagon? No, 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 no. You, you still, if a vehicle's over 6,000 pounds, um, you are able to get uh, Section 179 depreciation. Uh, it's phased out depending on which year. So typically it's uh, going to be less than around 30 grand. I think this last year it was 28,900. But there is bonus depreciation. Bonus depreciation is something that allows you to take a big deduction in year one on an over 6,000 pound GVWR. Uh, with that, uh, in 2023, it's 80%. Uh, before that, it was 100%. But in 2023, it's 80%. And in 2024, it's 60%. It goes down 20%. Now, the big thing in riding off the G-Wagon, because depending on who's listening, minds start to blow and faces melt. And they're like, oh my gosh, somebody was riding off a G-Wagon. There's no way that's right. Well, there's nothing in the tax law and, 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 and we don't run the tax lie by just being cheeky and goofy and whatnot. But the tax law says this, if the vehicle's over 6,000 pounds, you get the deduction. But here's what's key it is based on your business mileage. So there are many out there, uh, none of which you and I uh, consort with, Josh, but many out there on social media, and they just leave it at that. They say, oh, get a G-Wagon, get to write off 80% of it. Well, it's got to be for business use. And then when you then look at, well, how much of a write-off do you get? Well, it needs to be what were the business miles that were driven on it versus the personal miles. Uh, so with that, if somebody had, you know, 24,000 miles on, you know, for the year and they drove 12,000 for business, that means it was 50% used for business. That means that whatever the depreciation is and actual expenses for interest and insurance and upkeep and gas, whatever that is, it's only going to then yield of that cost 50% of it as a realized tax deduction. So with that, Bottom line is, is yeah, somebody could buy a G-Wagon and ride it off, but if they're not really using it for business, it's not going to yield a write-off. So you've got to use whatever it is for business when we're talking about the vehicle. But that's still alive and well, just not a credit associated with it. Hmm. Yeah, I'm looking at a G at a 179 deduction vehicle list over 6,000 pounds. But does this MSRP above 80 grand still play for the this or that's no, a different? No, not. Yeah, great question on that. Not with the uh, only related to the the vehicle tax credit of the seventy five hundred. Does that come into play? Um, but with uh, anything over six thousand pounds GBWR, there is not a dollar limit related to that. Hmm. So if you if you made a significant amount of money and you want to write off your car for business purposes only, you could buy a Tesla X, for example, because that is a 6,000 GVWR rate, rate, uh, rating, even if you made over that threshold, that would be sort of the... That's correct. But you wouldn't yeah, get the credit. Yeah. You would get the uh, GVWR deduction. deduction, 179 deduction. Man, this yeah. is so good. This is why we need JJ, the CPA, to break it down for us. Folks, you're joining, if you're just joining us, this is Josh Jelinski, the financial quarterback with America's favorite CPA, JJ the CPA, 90 pounds lighter, 
Although I still loved you when you were 90 pounds heavier, JJ. Hey, yeah. I appreciate it. And I always felt the love. You, you were not, you were 240 well, you were 160 well, or whatever you are now. What are you now, 155 or something? 159. Okay. I was, uh, yeah, I was, I was 249. And if you go back to May of 21, I was 272. Um, but, uh, you know, I had a mild stroke back in October of 21. And so kind of a life-changing event, took some time to recover, changed some things in my life. Um, and you know, some great things too, got married in June and, uh, my lovely bride, Amanda, you know, has been by my side for a long time, but we're just having a great time. And, you know, I want to stick around, you know, I got, I got all kinds of reasons to stick around, not to mention, I need to continue to be on your show. Need to get you on my channel, by the way, JJ, the CPA and, uh, do some simulcast. I owe you, Josh, you know, in the, in the pandemic in the early part of the pandemic, I think maybe I had 10,000 subscribers and we're probably in May of 2020. So really still a lot of uncertainty. And uh, Josh Jelinski tapped me on the shoulder, said, hey, come on the show. And uh, you had me on a number of times, always promoted the channel. And so you were a big part of getting the word out there, spreading the word. And even to this day, uh, Josh, uh, I still hear like, oh, I, I found you through Josh Jelinski. I've got a private consulting group uh, and there's uh, there's a couple of them in there and they talk about you. I think one. Yeah, one of them, actually, they are a client of yours. But uh, but anyways, I sure appreciate you, my friend. Well, yeah, would love to connect with them, too. Yeah, we well, we we were uh, we didn't know what was going on in the world. then. Oh, it yeah. was like we we were staring into the abyss, <laughs> me and JJ. And what's interesting is we've heard people like, hey, maybe. The, the president at that time listened to the show because we were, you know, we're on WOR, the legendary, one of the biggest AM talk radio stations in the country in New York, Flamethrower. Uh, you know, we have, we had, they had Rush Limbaugh before he died, had Dave Ramsey, had um, Sean Hannity, all those big Michael Savage. And so we were staring into the abyss. Nobody knew what to do. But we did, JJ. We, but not that, I mean, I think God blessed us with, with some smarts and the ability to read this new law that nobody knew what the heck it was, PPP. And it's funny because you gave me credit, but a lot of people ripped. I mean, there, there were people, it'd be like, we would say something on the AM show, 9 a.m. on a Saturday, 9 a.m. on a Sunday. And then all of a sudden, Monday, it got picked up by the Wall Street Journal. Or this, and sometimes they would give you attribution, sometimes they wouldn't, and I was never attributed. <laughs> but, <laughs> but basically, it's funny. Um, one time I had my attorneys contact them because, because like they lifted line by line. They go, First Amendment, we you can't, you know, you have no authority to say anything. But it was just all I wanted was a little source disclosure, a little love, a little and, love. Come on. But you know, you get some lazy journalists, and they go, because <laughs> we have like uh, we, our listenership is very wide, very far-reaching, and very deep. We have like J.K. Lasser's, uh, the, the J.K. Lasser, the big tax book, the small business book, and the personal book. I know that editor listens because occasionally he'll, he'll, uh, he or she will call up. We've had uh, the female editor, we've had the male editor on, and they listen to the show. So people catch things. But PPP, what was so strange about that is, remember the first rollout was kind of bungled. And banks didn't give oh, it. Yeah. And then we would, 
we would be like, Mr. President, are you listening? We really did. And then he listened and the team listened and they they corrected the problems of PPP and really made it a better program. And I still think to this day, PPP was maligned, that all these people were abusing it. Not all everybody was abusing it. I mean, that was a very small fraction. People forget all these people were going to be laid off. And we had people listening and you provided hope to, I think indirectly you affected millions of people from losing their job because I was scouring the internet for an expert and you were the guy. So then because you were the guy, I became kind of the listener. I, I knew a lot about it too. And we were just kind of providing hope. I mean, I, I didn't really, we didn't, we didn't charge people. I didn't like hang a shingle and say, PPP consulting firm, although I should have, you know, like the people who jacked up the uh, the masks, we were just providing hope because we didn't know. I mean, I wanted to keep my people hired. So I kind of did it selfishly. How do I keep Jim on payroll? How do I keep, you know, Joanne on payroll? How do I keep this person? And so PPP changed lives. And I think you did. And, and I know because there was like you. There was me, there was a guy, Marks, who was on Fox Business, who I think he got some stuff from us, but we had him on. Um, but there were very few people who even knew what they were talking about. Because a lot of people just would would give videos on it. And they didn't know what they were talking about. You yeah. know. So thank you. America thanks you. That's why oh, I, very kind. you were Captain America. I was Iron Man. That's right. And um we we were just going whole hog. It was fun. That was a fun little. Um, it reminded me of the time I had Robert Kiyosaki on the show. You know Robert, and yes, uh, Rich Dad Portofino, and we we actually relaunched. By the way, if you want to hear that show, he came on the show and he just went off for two hours. I don't know how we got him, and uh, he just went wild for two hours. So we relaunched that on the podcast feed. Uh, this week. So okay. you got to listen awesome. to it because where do you get Robert Kiyosaki for two hours? Well, the financial quarterback gets you. We had, we had, um, one time we had Tony Robbins on. It was like talking to the president. They're like, hello, but, but, uh, you're better than the president. So JJ, yeah, oh, the now, CPA. Now. Well, well, no, uh, but anyway, so we're talking tax write-offs. We got solar, we got EVs. We got selling of the credit, sort of like an exchange is brewing. Um, what about America's kind of maligned? I don't know if you've been following Instagram and TikTok, all these people demonizing the 401k and mm. retirement plans. What about retirement plans? So the SECURE Act came out 2.0 uh, at the end of 22, and it really has expanded the ability for not only employees to co to contribute uh, in an easier fashion, made it easier for employers to set these up. But with this, all of the plans now are able to have a Roth component. So a SEP, a simple, as well as then the 401k that's had that. And as we know, the Roth component is uh, a lot of times very attractive. You don't get a deduction by putting money in the Roth, but it grows tax-free and you're able to pull it out tax-free. You know, out of the SECURE Act for small business owners that have not had a plan 
on their employees in the last three years if they implement a new plan uh, for retirement, SEP, simple, or a 401k. They're going to be able to get a tax credit for their costs to set that plan up. It's up to $5,000 a year for three years. And then check this out. This is not written about much anywhere, only because the IRS has still said they need more time to come up with the form and how it's going to be reported. But if you set up a new plan, the other thing you get is the employer gets an up to $1,000 tax credit per employee up to the amount that they're putting in. Now, there's a few more things to that, but that should be enough for the viewers and listeners, subscribers and fans of, of you that uh, you want to take that to your advisor. But at the end of the day, the SECURE Act has really put a lot of, um, I would say, a lot more accessibility, not only for small businesses, but for employees. And um, I'm going to be honest with you, Josh, uh, it's probably not the smartest, but uh, ever since my stroke, I only keep up with tax news. I let my wife keep up with the other news and she tells me what I need to know. So you're going to have to fill me in on the 401k getting demonized uh, because I know the old reasonings for that. But uh, let me know the new reasonings um, because I'm not sure why anybody would. Um, it well, it became like this big thing as, as social media and we like life insurance. Um, we've talked about Absolutely. the Amen. power of permanent life insurance. And we'll, I'll ask you about that from a CPA's perspective. Uh, permanent life insurance, cash value life insurance is demonized. I'm going to be asking JJ why he likes it, why why he would challenge Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman, you know, on that issue in a little bit. But I guess it was from what I would call insurance only advisors where they would go on TikTok and they'd be like, have you heard of the 401k? It's the IRS way to grab your money. Now, I, I do believe that there are significant problems with the 401k. Do you have an exit strategy? Do you have a plan to take money out and minimize your taxes? But not everybody is going to be able to build that kind of wealth that would need to be built for the 401k to really be an albatross. And we have a lot of clients save $2 million, $5 million in their 401k. And yeah, when you're taking RMDs, it does become a tax albatross. But you know what? They have $5 million. And I've seen millionaires be created by two things more than any other thing in, in America. Three, number one, real estate, which uh, you can go to your lovely wife, Amanda, if you're looking for That's real right. estate in Oklahoma. That's um, right. But real estate is a great way to create wealth. Number two, stocks, investing. Number three, owning a business. Number four, 401k. So many regular people socking away 20 grand a year, 30 grand a year in 401k. I've met more millionaires attributed to two reasons, their 401k or real estate than any others. So I, I get the problems of the 401k, limited investment option menus. That's one thing, meaning now because of what's called the fiduciary rule, most 401ks that you get through your employer only have like 20 options and they're generally not always the best. It's just kind of dummy funds that are sometimes low cost and sometimes high cost. So I get it, but they're really just saying, hey, your money's trapped. You can't use it. You can't enjoy it. I would argue I'm a, I'm a resident of New Jersey. 
If I put a dollar in my 401k, I get 40 cents back. I get state and federal returns. So although I do realize there are problems with the 401k, I'm still maxing mine out. I'm still creating super 401ks. I mean, where can you get, I don't know if you heard about the super 401k. Oh yeah. But you know, you can merge a 401k, get this, 30 grand a year in your 401k if you're 50 and older, 73,500 in profit sharing. And then you can even double up in the one year at a pension component. And I have this chart that I got from a guy named John Lalonde. He does a lot of like uh, pension administration, but he has a great way to kind of make it simple. You could, if you're between 60 and 68 on the year one double up, get up to an $818,000 deduction if you include an employer and their spouse. If you're 40 to 44, you can get up to a 340 grand deduction if you double up with the spouse. A lot of business owners, they don't put their spouse as an employee. So there's a lot of, I mean, you want to talk about that? Super 401k, those things? Well, you know, the first thing I would just say on the on those that would say, you know, that there's some issue with the 401k. Well, the bottom line is, is that you got to get with your financial advisor and your tax advisor to see how is it fit in your particular picture. So you can look at social media as a great way to get some ideas to then go to your advisor. You not necessarily want to just take it and run with it. On the 401k, though, the majority of us are not even maxing that out. We're not even putting in the full maximum. You know, it's 29,000 with the catch up going into 2024. Many are putting in just what the employer match is. So it's unfortunate that a blanket statement is being said that way in the sense that many are never going to even reach that issue that you're talking about. And even if you reach those dollars, all that's being done there is when you reach age 73 and then 75 and 10 years, yes, there's a required minimum distribution amount that you need to pull out. But I think that what we really want to look at Josh, I doubt you would disagree, is that people are not saving enough for retirement. And the 401k is a great way to put more in than even your own contribution because the employer is doing a match. So if you put in 4% of your income, then your employer, depending on what their match is and all that good stuff, but in my example, they're also putting in 4% of your income. You just doubled your money. So I don't know what the real issue would be related to that. Yes, when you put money in retirement, it's going to be in there and quote unquote, you can't get to it until you turn 59 and a half. Well, here's the deal. You can get to it. You got a tax deduction going in. It's going to be taxable coming out. There's going to be additional 10%. So it would be like hitting your you know, your big old left hand uh, 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 with a hammer, you would not want to do that. But my point is, it's not actually locked up. It's not uh, something uh, not accessible. The other thing is, is that the reasoning for that, though, is that as it's growing, you're not paying tax on it as it's growing. So the buying and the selling and the gains that you have, and you know, as well as I do in the 401k, you know, it can go into a REIT, a real estate investment trust, and go into bonds. It can sit there in a money market. It doesn't have to go in the market. But this allows those that are saving for retirement to get more in it with an employer match. It's able to grow. 
And from that standpoint of in retirement, yes, you are having to pull money out, especially when you hit the RMD ages. But at the same time, most people need that money. Um, and from my perspective, uh, whether it's a simple plan or a SEP or a 401k, here's what I even tell my own clients, Josh. You're not putting enough away, even maxing these out. So here's what I actually look at. And I tell my clients, it's like, you're just finding an excuse not to save money. You coming up with a reason to not contribute is you just coming up with a reason to actually just not do it so that we can have that immediate gratification of keeping money uh, you know, on our own. Now, when you were talking super 401k, everything that you've said, those things go into play. Now, of course, somebody's got to have the means and the profitability to do that. So that can be rare, but it shows the power of what? Working with Josh, working with his team, working with advisors that are aware of these things. Now, on the life insurance, I don't know if you want to jump in, but my thing there is that um, what you've got to just be mindful of is what company you're getting it with. So I'm not going to tell you any companies, but I know that in general, I really favor uh, mutual owned insurance companies when it comes to permanent life. Now, does that mean only mutual owned companies are the way to go? Well, from my perspective as a CPA, I have my life insurance uh, license. I do sell whole life insurance. I have it myself and on my kiddos. Really, when you look at it as a tax play, a state planning play, uh, as well as in a retirement play, this is where the rich get richer, as people like to say, and many times be angry about. But the bottom line here is, is that you have now an asset that you're putting money into. You're not getting a deduction for it. It should be building cash value that you're able to use. And then it's going to yield money that can be for retirement or whatever you want that then has a death benefit to pay off any of the loans. So the big key for me, uh, uh, Josh, what I tell people is when you're looking at whole life, figure out how it can implode and then don't get that. Mm. So getting whole life insurance, a lot of times with the mutual loan companies, because the policy loan is their own asset, they devise ways, and I'm telling you nothing you don't know. They mm -hmm. devise ways to ensure that what you're getting won't implode in the sense that that's where a whole life insurance can get uh, sometimes a bad rap. Or just like anything, right, Josh, they don't hire you. They don't consult with you. They have someone that calls them. Sounds like a great idea, but the kind of whole life they got isn't the kind that they need. It's just like anything else. So if you're wanting money in retirement and you're wanting to use your uh, you know, your life or somebody else's life basically as the leverage there, then inside the insurance laws, there's tax laws that have been around a long time on how that works. And at the end of the day, when you know as well as I do, when uh, the Rockefellers, just to pick a name, and, and I say this out of admiration for the Rockefellers. When they have a baby, um, I bet you, I have no direct knowledge of this, just other than industry knowledge. When, they, when, when a baby's born, one of the first things that that family's doing is getting whole life on the life of that child that's actually to benefit that child's children. And they're far reaching and the sooner you can get into it. So 
Is it a one size fits all? No, but it seems as though everybody should have a little bit because here's the big thing about permanent life. No matter when you pass away, you will have it to the extent of how much is then the question. But when you say, Josh, you've got to you've got to talk with a financial advisor and you nailed it. I've never heard it said that way. Um, and I don't remember the terminology you used, but you said for those that only push insurance only, um, then maybe there could be what I would just say a conflict of interest, meaning they're not really looking at other options. But Josh, with you, uh, you're able to do the full gamut of financial financial planning and with stocks. I mean, that's why you're the quarterback. That's really the kind of advisor having Josh Jelinski on your team because they're going to look at everything and put together a strategy. And for CPAs that were like uh, me back in the day, I thought whole life insurance was nothing but a scam. But I was uh, Saul that turned into Paul on that, if you will, here in Oklahoma, they'd say. Uh, but it was just learning more about it. So with that being said, I, love I, that. I am Saul turned into right Paul. circumstances. And I mean, here, what is there to not like about whole life insurance? I remember my dad died pretty much penniless. And one of his regrets was that he went to a thing at church, one of these uh, financial universities, or, you know, or Larry Burkett was the guy before Dave Ramsey. And they were big advocates of BTID, buy term, invest the difference. There's nothing wrong with that per se. I like term insurance. I like investing the difference. I always like buying whole and investing the difference. You know, so I'm pro-insurance and I'm pro-investments. But one of the things I remember is he he had a kind of a near-death experience like you with your st stroke, but his was a little worse in that he didn't have a thriving CPA practice and it just took him off his edge and then no one ever really hired him. And he, he worked in ministry after and he tried to do odd jobs, but just financially things didn't occur. And somebody said, you know what? You don't need that life insurance anymore. Cancel it, put it into Vanguard. Nothing wrong with Vanguard, nothing wrong with index funds. Mm -hmm. But then he went through the period from 2000 to 2002 and lost 40% of everything he had with Vanguard. Then he pulled it out, just said, you know, and that was after he cashed his pension because they said, hey, you got to bring your pension over to the market. And one of the biggest regrets he had was he cashed out his $200,000 whole life policy. And he would have loved to have the pride. And, and really, to me, it's a, it's, a, it's a product of love. Could you make more in the market? Sure. It's not about that. It's about, I mean, generally a whole life policy earns something between the, depending on the interest rate environment, three to 7% over a 30 year period after the cost of insurance. Let's say it's 4% internal rate of return. Very similar to what you get at a bank or a CD. And by the way, that was 4% when bank products were zero. So as rates rise, I get a notification from my whole life carrier. They're increasing their dividend, one of them, to 5.3%. So the point is, wow. And some paying 6%. And, you know, dividend doesn't mean you earn that, but it does include, I have policies I bought when I was 28. I put 19,000 and guess how much the cash value goes up on the policy? Doubles, 38 grand. Hmm. 
Mm. Can't beat that. Now, do you overfund it in certain years? Sure. Is your IRR maybe a little less than what the market would generate over that period? But that's the thing. A lot of people, they don't invest enough. And I don't know why people want to force people to invest only in the market when a lot of people are uncomfortable with market solutions. So why do you think it is that people are demonizing it? Uh, Not actually now it's more popular, but like the, the old talking heads, I'm thinking, you know, Dave Ramsey, Susie Orman, why do they demonize it? So I think most things that get demonized are just misunderstood. And I think that that's really the case with whole life insurance. And I understand that probably for uh, Dave and Susie, that uh, they mean well, but you know their audience is probably um, those that are looking for a one, two, three. What should I do now? I'm surprised that they don't include in their planning at least just a little bit of uh, uh, you know part of a portfolio to have Call some the current life insurance in the sense that minutes. you always will have it, and uh, maybe. I don't know about them, but maybe the insurance industry uh, uh, doing maybe a little bit more of an educational program related to this. But I'm going to tell you a little secret that I tell other people. I think the rich want it to be demonized. I think the rich don't want the masses, if you will, to get in it. You know why? Because it is the most beautiful the most sexy tax plan that you can put into play for yourself, for retirement, for estate planning, generational planning. There's really, with the right right, uh, product, which is not really that hard to find, it's gotta make sure, you're talking about putting money in and because you didn't tax deduct it up front, you're getting money tax-free in retirement legally, You're passing money to the next generation, tax-free for the most part, and the next generation is getting the money. So I have uh, uh, whole life insurance on my kiddos. The beneficiary will be their kids. I will use the money in my retirement because I own it. I'll give it to them when I pass. They'll then own it. They'll have money for their retirement. When they pass, then my kids uh, uh, will be giving in life insurance to their grandkids. And it's basically $1 in, $3 out. And not having the tax component to it can really add to it. Now, with that, why would I say, well, the rich, I don't think they mind if it's demonized. Because if everybody started doing whole life insurance, I think Congress would be like, wow, maybe we need to revisit the tax laws packed inside the insurance laws because we're missing out on a lot of tax revenue. Um, and so you really could look at whole life as like the super Roth IRA because the Roth, you have income limitation to put in. There's a dollar amount that's limited. And why is that? Because Congress, and I don't even mean it that they're doing it with any conspiracy. I'm just saying they're looking at a national budget. They're looking at how much taxes do need to be collected, right? So there's no conspiracy that I'm talking about here, but I'm just saying Congress knows that if they had no income limit in terms of being able to put into a Roth, if they had no dollar a minute uh, limit on how much you could put in each year, it would cost the government a lot of money for taxes. And 
government needs money. Hmm. So this is a real backdoor Roth IRA done properly. And I'm just, I dare say, get your whole life insurance with Josh Jelinski. I trust him. With that being said, it's a huge tax play. And if the word really got out and everybody started doing it, it would go away and it would be limited. And so with that, I think in the, if we now want to talk conspiracy, which we're not, but it would be like, hey, just let everybody hate it. No problem, because we want to keep doing it. So with that, I think that uh, it's just misunderstood. I even think the insurance one, I'll even go a step further. I think the insidious part of the insurance industry even wants it demonized because they make more money from term insurance because you are less likely to get a payout on a death claim. 99% of all life insurance goes unpaid to the beneficiary. Right. Because people cancel the policy or the policy lapses or the policy yeah. premiums go up. And that's why they're all pushing universal life right now. And universal life could be appropriate at times, but universal life is may is uh, more prone to that is the type of whole life, if you will, that might be more prone to screwing people. It can be wise in certain scenarios, estate planning, times where you need a lower premium or whatever, but that is rising costs. So I think the insurance company doesn't want everybody in all life because it would, there's only nine or 10 companies left that do a mutual insurance company. <clears throat> and one of them just got sold a couple of years ago. So it's like, I think there's like nine left. And yeah. Um, we had a good guy on, what's his name? Tom Gober, who talked about the TSR ratio, which stands for transparency, surplus, and reserves, talking about a lot of these insurance companies are now being owned by private equity firms. Mm. And even more of a reason to pick a mutual company is you don't know if their interests are aligned with yours mm -hmm. or with a mutual company you do. Now could get bought or whatever, could demutualize, but but it's less likely. Um, so definitely great points. And as we conclude this exciting interview, I know you got to go help another client save the world. You're Captain America. I'm Iron Man. Although doesn't Iron it. Man die? You, you said no. that. No, he did die not. At the end. Okay. No, if you listen to the very very end, there's the hammer hitting the metal that tells you which is from Iron Man 1, that Iron Man is not at all dead. You know, it's this multiverse that they've come up with. He's just in a different multiverse. We're in that multiverse where Josh Jelinski is still alive and well. What an honor to be on your show, my friend. I just enjoy uh, everything you do. Thanks for all the support, the love. Look forward to returning that very soon and having us uh, also on my YouTube channel, my yeah, friend. Yeah, let's get you on again soon. Anything you want to plug today, JJ, the CPA? Well, here's what I'm going to tell you, my friend. If you, uh, right here, okay, if this is okay. Yeah, you can um, do a little plug. I am sponsored now by ADP, and uh, they do payroll and HR, and uh, they really are revolutionary with security and technology. Fellow CPAs, EAs, they'll buy your payroll practice for you. So go to jjthecpa.com backslash ADP, and you can schedule with my team, Erica or Haley. So thanks for that, uh, because it is changing lives uh, in, in the sense of, of uh, ADP now helping with those that I'm working with. Wow. 
Thanks so much, JJ. Always a pleasure. Tell the Amanda. I remember when the Amanda was your assistant or something, and I was like, oh, they're a cute couple. Yeah. And then yep. people would be like, are you two an item? And you'd be yeah. like, no. And then, yeah. then all yeah. of a sudden Behind you were, scenes. and then congratulations. Yeah. So yeah. thanks yeah. for well, Thank you, sir. Hey, I will see you soon. God bless.